Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. I would imagine that if I asked 10 of you, how are you doing, approximately 10 of you would say, fine. And then if I said to the same 10, uh, no, really, how are things going? Probably seven or eight of you would say something like, well, things are busy. And then maybe you'd add, and honestly, I'm kind of tired. Sometimes I wonder if we'll look back on certain seasons of our lives, and all we'll be able to remember is, we were busy, and I was tired. Now, this is not a sermon about being busy or being tired. This is a message about God Uh, But I wanted to start here because there's a verse of scripture that has been haunting me recently. So in the spirit of Halloween, I'm going to share it with you so that I'm not haunted alone. It's from the book of Psalms, comes pretty early in the book. Psalms 10, chapter chapter 10, verse 4. Here's what it says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And I apologize for starting on, on kind of a heavy note today, but I really do find myself troubled by the fact that we often structure and fill our lives in such a way that making room in our thoughts for God can be difficult. I promise I'm not here to beat anybody up about this, rest assured, but we do think that this is a bit of a problem, and so we do want to help. So for the next five weeks, we're looking straight at God. And as we thought about this idea in the last series, we thought about this idea of why church that we've been uh, wrestling with there for a couple of months. We kind of accidentally happened upon a pretty simple answer. Because God, because God is who he is, we go to church. And as we were thinking about this, we got to thinking, what are some other ways we might finish that sentence? What are some other ways we might say, because God, fill in the blank? What else might follow that if we took a long and focused look at the truth about who God is. And we kind of landed generally on this idea that because God is who he is, like if we saw that clearly, we'd be grateful. We would live lives of gratitude through and through, but we wanted to press through a little bit more specifically and ask what the Bible has to say about this idea. And so that's what we're gonna be doing for the next month or so is saying because God and then filling in the blank. And we're allowing the book of Psalms to be our guide uh, as we try to focus ourselves on true things about God. And today we're beginning with Psalm 107. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 107, or you can tune your devices to the same place. And we're going to talk about this passage today. And as you're turning there, I want to mention one thing that we're going to be doing through this series as a church. We're kind of taking part in a Psalms challenge, and we want to invite you to do so. It has often been recognized that there are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, longest book in the Bible, and that if you divide this up into fives, you have 30 sections. And so people will often take a month of time and try to read or pray through the book of Psalms, five a day. And that's what we're asking you to do. So we're going to be making some resources available and inviting you to take this challenge with us that we would for one month, the month of November, read and pray through five Psalms a day throughout the day. And, uh, but if we do this, then in one month's time, we'll be working through the entire book. So if you need something for your own daily Bible reading, or if you're kind of out of the habit and need to get into it or have never done it before, jump in with us. 
You can find some resources for this on our app, on the website. You can sign up for a regular email that keeps you, gives you reminders on this. And you can also grab a paper copy out in the lobby of, uh, of kind of a rundown of what we'll be doing as the week progresses. So we invite you to do this with us. And, and today we want to begin by looking at Psalm 107. And in many ways, this psalm kind of takes us back to the basics. Takes us from where we are, you know, we're living through our lives, about to do the next thing. And this psalm says, hold on, slow down. Let's think back uh, to what God has been doing. And matter of fact, um, I didn't tell the last service this, so this is bonus just for you guys. Um, And we'll see if you're actually here because of daylight savings time or you're just meant to be here. Anyway, the book of Psalms, uh, you may have noticed in the past, is divided into five books. 150 chapters, and there are five different books of this. And the reason for this is it's supposed to correspond to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. And so if you looked in your Bibles at Psalm 107, you may have noticed that right at the top of it says, book five. This is the first Psalm that comes in the fifth book. What's the significance of that? Well, it may be that this section of Psalms is supposed to correspond to the book of Deuteronomy, which is a book we studied earlier this semester, where Moses stops the Israelites right before they go into the promised land. They've been on this 40-year journey with God, and he stops them right before they go in and says, hold up, everybody. Let's talk about what God has done. Let's talk about the agreements we've made with him before we progress through. I think that's something like what this psalm wants to do. Hold up, everybody. Let's talk about God and remember what it is he's done in our lives. And so let's read some of this psalm together, Psalm 107. It's a long psalm. I encourage you to read all of it later, but the first half and the second half kind of talk about the same themes. So we're going to read uh, starting in verse 1 and going through to verse 22. Here's what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. And some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, out of utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. This psalm asks us to pause our busy lives, to step back and to remember to speak about the story of what God has done in us and continues to do. And in short, the message of this psalm is God delivers. 
And what I want to do this morning is very simple, no tricks or gimmicks. I just want to ask some simple questions of this idea of God as our deliverer. Who, how, and why? Who is this for? How does it work? And why does God do it? But first, let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for your presence. That we acknowledge that you are in the room because the room is yours. And we ask that as we open up the word, that you would open up our hearts and minds so that we might receive what uh, you would like for us to hear. So we pray that you would bless us with uh, insight and understanding and discernment, soft hearts, open minds. Move us as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. So who does God deliver? That's our first question. Or if you're an English major, whom does God deliver? Who's this for? Who are we talking about? And I say this here because before I even start unpacking what I think this passage tells us God does, what it means to say that God delivers us, or, or how he actually goes about it, we need to make sure and get something straight. Because what I don't want is for this to be like those times when somebody tells you this really great story about this wonderful thing that happened to someone else. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, you want some great news? Yeah, sure, bring it. I'd love some great news. Oh, my second cousin twice removed who lived in Vermont, she won the lottery. Yay. <laughs> Text her my congrats if you would. Wonderful. I, I don't want that to be like, I don't want this to be like that. I, I, and when we talk about these kinds of things that we're talking about, there's a, there's a constant temptation that is pretty dangerous and we need to fight it. That we would hear these things and say, yeah, that's great and all, but for someone else. It's not for me. This for the good, smart people. That's for the super spiritual people. That's for the church people. And we will have a tendency to say, no, that's not actually talking. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. That's not for me. And so before I even get into what God has done, uh, we got to make sure you don't miss yourself in this story. Because God delivers, I can be delivered. That's the line for today. Because we want each of you to take it personally every person in the room to realize that this truth is truth for me. Because God delivers, I can be delivered. You too. But what if I told you that your story is in Psalm 107? That this psalm is written in such a way that each of us will read it, at least a portion of it, and say, yeah, that's me. Let's look at that by asking who this message of deliverance is for. And the first thing we see is that this is for people who lose their way. Psalm 107, verses 4 and 5, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Is this you? Either now or maybe in the past. You're off to great places, you're off and away, and then eventually you look around and say, how did I get here? You know that, uh, that saying, not all who wander are lost? Yeah, I often hear that quoted by people headed in the wrong direction. A couple weeks ago, I was on my way to church here, and I was taking a different route than normal, and I don't really remember why. We live right kind of at the southern edge of Webb City, and I usually come up through the center of Webb City on, onto the church, but I think I needed to go to Main Street Joplin for something, and so I head out to 43, and I'm headed up that way. No big deal. It's fairly simple. You just take 43 to Kafer and you turn right, and this is the way I used to come to church when I was a student at Ozark 15 years ago and would come to church out here. So I know the way. No big deal. Don't need the Maps app. Don't need any GPS. I'm just fine. So I'm driving, and when I drive, I tend to kind of, you know, get off into la-la land a little bit. And at a certain point, I'm like, man, it kind of feels like I've been driving for a while. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I've gone too far. Have you ever felt this before? 
Turns out I was like, I don't even want to tell you how many miles I was past it. We'll go with two or three. So I was a ways past the street, right? And, but you do this, you think, maybe if I, it's just around, I think it's just around this one more corner, just over one more hill, one more little, you know, building on the side, then I think I'm going to get it. No, uh-uh, no, we're way too fast, way too beyond it. But the fact is, I think probably some of us have found or maybe could find ourselves in a particular situation right there on that road. Maybe if I just keep going a little longer down this same path, I'll get to where I'm trying to go. I'll reach my destination. I'll find what I'm looking for. Nope. Nope. If you opened up your Maps app and typed in joy or wholeness or freedom or peace or even happiness, the first line on your directions list would say, you turn immediately. And the good news is that this message is for you. It's also for people who get stuck. Psalm 107, 10 and 11, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners, it says, suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. Bondage. It might be the most consistent biblical image for what happens to a person when they reject what God tells us to do. And some of us are imprisoned. Some of us are imprisoned by addictions. I don't want to eat that, drink that, say that, look at that, but I just keep doing it. I don't want to desire what I desire or feel what I feel, but it is what it is, right? I don't know, is it? Others are imprisoned by fear. I know, Jesus, that I told you I would do anything for you, but I mean, I didn't mean that thing. I can't do that thing. Talk to that person, serve in that ministry, take that stand. And still others are imprisoned by our secrets. You know, that thing that you did or maybe do that you hope nobody ever finds out about. That thing you're thinking about right now. That thing you wish would go away. That thing you wish I'd stop reminding you of. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be helpful. And if your blood is hot right now and your face is flush, you might be living in bondage. You might be stuck in your secrets. And the good news is that this message is for you. The third category of people we see is that this message is for people who do dumb things. Verse 17, some became fools. That's our key word. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. You know, this is the only time in the book of Psalms this word fool is used. So if you read through all of Psalms, you'll just see it this once. It's a pretty common word in Scripture, though. shows up a lot of times in the book of Proverbs, and it just means a a senseless person, a person that makes poor decisions, a person that doesn't do the wise thing. And not to be mean, but the Bible often depicts fools as people who act like children. Now, I like kids. I love my own kids, but I'm not blind. Like, sometimes kids do dumb things, and it's usually not a problem because they're kids. But let me put it this way. If you did what kids do, you would be doing dumb things. Anybody else have kids in the house who can say amen to what I'm talking about? When we first moved here, my daughter Claire was three. She's five now. She was three, and, and she was over in the, in, the, in the children's area, and she was uh, in her classroom, and she was being well taken care of. And I have two kids, a, a daughter Claire and a son Carson. Claire is 100% girl. Carson is 100% boy. And so Claire was in, in, in class with her probably pink dress on, looking very pretty and, and elegant and ladylike, and she's walking through doing her thing. And, and one of the uh, workers in there was a college student named Peyton. And Peyton says to Claire, Claire, you have such a beautiful dress. And Claire says, yes, it is. 
Then she looks down very humbly and peacefully and says, but we shouldn't talk about our pretty dresses because some girls don't have pretty dresses like you. <laughs> yeah. 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 You say that at three, it's adorable and hilarious. You say it at 13, you're going to get slapped across the face. You know what I mean? You say it at 33, you're probably going to lose your job, you know? And it's not just girls either. Little boys say dumb things too. My, my son, confession, my son hits people. So he's kind of like, I think he's going to be a little boxing guy. So we talk about this often. Buddy, you can't hit people. Why? People don't like to get hit. Oh, okay, yeah, remember now. So lately I'll come home and I'll be like, hey, Carson, how was your day? I didn't hit my friends. <laughs> very good, <laughs> which is fine. It's good for a two-year-old. But imagine if I come home and Beth's like, hey, how was class? How are your you know, classes today? I say, oh, it's great. I, I didn't drop kick any of my students today. So it's not the same kind of thing. You know what I mean? We, we don't do what children do because we're not kids anymore. And one of the dumb things that kids do is that they don't listen to wise advice. I mean, is mine the only house in which this conversation frequently occurs? You probably shouldn't stand on that thing. Thud. Wah! You know? I often look at my children and I say, if you would just do everything exactly as I say, you would experience less pain. Like, that's just kind of how it works. And one of the main ways that the Bible describes fools is that they don't listen to wise advice. Is that me? Is that you? Can you think of a time when a wise person in your life told you something and you wish you would have listened? They said, choose door number A, and you said, I'll choose door number B. They said, turn right, you turn left. They said to stay and you went, or they said to go, but you stayed. I mean, if you heard some of these things before, don't quit your job, not right now. Stay away from that guy. You know, you do it once and you might get hooked. Tell her how you feel about her. Someone will find out, and even if they don't, you will always know. You can't undo this. And now you think back to that time, that thing, that advice, and you just wish you could go back and right the wrong. And maybe you're fine. Maybe you've healed. Maybe God has even redeemed that. But you have to admit that at some point in your story, you were a person who did dumb things. I was, and sometimes still am. And the good news is that this message is for me, and you, and you, and all of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done or what you're doing. This message is for you. Come one, come all, sinners big and small. That's kind of the message of Scripture, that this deliverance is for everybody, which is great. But what are we actually talking about? You won. You won. Wonderful. Like, what did I win? So it takes us to our second question. How does God deliver? What are we talking about when, he say that, when we say that God delivers? And what do we mean he's done in our lives? How does it work? So think with me about the word deliver. It's a fairly simple word. I like the word. It means that you take something from one place and you move it to another place. Look at how we use the word normally. If you were, uh, if you were imagine you're back in grade school and it's vocabulary lesson time and the teacher has given you the word of the day and the word is deliver. And the teacher says, make a sentence with the word. We would all make some sentence that involved taking something, a gift, a message, an object, taking something from one place and moving it to another place. That's what the word means. You put mail in the mailbox. This letter is currently in Web City, Missouri. It needs to get to Beijing, China. Can you deliver it? So basically, that's what the word means, that you move something from one place or situation to another place or situation. And the different Hebrew words in this psalm tell a similar story. Look at what some of them say. 
Verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. The word is geule, and it means to buy something back. And so the idea here is, imagine I have a piece of, of property, for instance, and I need to sell it to you because I'm down on my luck, and so I do, but then about 10 years later, I'm doing okay, and so I want to buy it back. That's what this word means. That it moves from your possession back to my possession. That's what God says he's done for us. Flip ahead a little bit in, in uh, verse 6. It says uh, that they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That's a pretty critical one for what we're talking about. And the word is yasalem. It means to, to pull or to snatch someone out of a situation of danger. It's a pretty intense word. So if you see somebody who's standing somewhere, and let's say like, an, uh, like a car is coming at them, this word means that you grab hold of them and you pull them out of that situation so that they won't find themselves any further harm than they already are. And the third word that we see in here is in verse 13 and a couple other places as well. It says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. The word is yosie. It actually is the word from which we get Joshua and eventually Jesus. Literally, the word in this case means to lead someone out from one place to another place. And when I look at these words, I don't just see words. I see stories. I think about Neil, this kid who about 10 years ago was just kind of a punk kid in our youth group at the church out in California. And if you saw him, you would be troubled by him. And you would think to yourself, he's probably doing some things that we would wish him not to do. And it would be an accurate assessment of the situation, doing drugs, selling them as well. Now, he's a community outreach pastor in one of our core churches here in Joplin. I think about Jason, another good friend of mine, who when I first met him was climbing the corporate ladder of success in Hollywood of all places. Now, he's a pastor at a church you've never heard of in the middle of Wisconsin, where it's a lot colder this time of year than Southern California, and he is happy as he could be. I've seen people move from from liar to truth teller, from from anxious to at peace, from timid to bold, from I just go to church to please my wife, to I'm actually serving as a key volunteer in a very critical ministry. I think about my own story. I've never been like a crazy big time sinner, but I'm very selfish. I tend to make the whole world about me. Anybody else? And I got a long ways to go as I continue to become like Jesus. But when I look at my past, Two, five, ten years ago, I'm a whole lot less self-absorbed than I used to be. So what's your story? Where's God rescued you from and what is he restoring you to? Well, let me put it like that. How does God deliver? He rescues and he restores. And it's not just one or the other, but both. He first rescues us. Truth is, you're in a bad spot because you're experiencing penalty for sin in some cases. Maybe if you're in a bad way, it's because you're actually experiencing the wrath of God that comes on all who reject him. I mean, you can't refuse the author of life and not taste a little bit of death, but he's tasted all of it for you. He sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice, to take upon himself the penalty you and I deserve so that it is never something that we come to experience. He has rescued us. Atonement, forgiveness, it's awesome. But believe it or not, there's more. You, you are forgiven, yes, but you've also been changed. You are rescued, to be sure, but you also are, are restored. To deliver does not just mean you're taken from someplace. It means that you're sent to a new place, or at least you can be. This is all over Psalm 107. He not only saves us from the penalty of sin, he saves us from its power too. So if you've lost your way, God will show it to you. 
If you're stuck, he won't just bust you out of prison or point out where you've done dumb things. He'll heal you and teach you to be wise. And again, this is not just true of them. This is something God will do for you and me, which raises what for me is always the most important question. Why? Why does God do this? I know there are all sorts of questions that we will ask God when we come before him face to face. I know that many of us will want to say, why did you allow all this bad stuff to happen? Others may, may want to look at him and say, why didn't you just make it a little easier to believe in you? Why didn't you make yourself more obvious? And I don't know, maybe what you want to ask him is, why are men and women so different? All sorts of questions that we might have in mind that we'd like to take before him, but there's one more that I can't avoid. Why haven't you given up on me yet? I've given you every reason to throw up your hands and say, I'm done, but you haven't. You don't. You're still here. Why? This is a question that Psalm 107 answers. God tells us, and he does it with one word. One more Hebrew word this morning. It's the word chesed. It's kind of weird to say. Shows up 245 times in the Old Testament, six times in this particular chapter. Kind of difficult to translate, so let's take a look at some of the ways in which this chapter tries to do so. It first shows up in the very first verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's that chesed word. Goes on in verse, uh, verse 8 says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. There it is again. And his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. I think he's trying to make a point. And his wonderful deeds for mankind. And, and it ends with the very last verse. But the one who is wise, heed these things. Verse 43, and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So once it's translated love, once loving deeds, and four times unfailing love. Older translations may have something like steadfast love or covenant love or loving kindness. This is an active, undyingly loyal, eternally immovable, never-ending kind of love. And to be honest, this is a love that's somewhat difficult for us to understand. Most of the love that we offer and try to receive is, is somewhat fickle. Most of the love that we offer and receive is something that reminds me of a, a story I once heard about a young guy who was um, wanting to do something nice for his, his girlfriend, and so he went to get her this bracelet. He engraved it for her, right? It's kind of old school, but he engraves this bracelet for her, and so he goes into the jewelry shop, and, and the, uh, the person in the shop says, well, wh what's her name? And he said, no, 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 don't put her name on it. Put, to my one and only true love. And that way, if we break up, I can give it to somebody else. Chesed is not that kind of love. It's not the kind of love that says, tell death do its part, or tell things get a little too unfun. It's not the kind of love that comes and goes when company comes around. It's not the kind of love that says, you can trust me, and improves time and again that in fact you cannot. No, this is the kind of love that says over and over and over, I'll still be here. I'll do whatever it takes to see you through and then follows through on the promise every time. And not long ago, Claire and I had this conversation. You never know what you're going to get from a five-year-old. We had this conversation. She comes up to me and she says, Daddy, what if a tiger attacked us? What would you do? All right, here we go. I said, well, I'd try to fight it, sweetie, so that you could get away. Would you win? <laughs> no, I wouldn't win. 
So you die? Yeah, yeah, I die. It's probably never going to happen, but I wouldn't hesitate. And neither would you. Who taught us to love like this? This is a love that money cannot buy, history cannot control, and logic cannot explain. And you know, nothing's taught me more about the love of God that's revealed in Jesus than being a dad. But it's not because of the love that I have for my kids. It's because of the love that I cannot have imagining for people who hurt them. Get the equation proper. If this is God and this is his child and over here are the people responsible for the death of that child, then you and I are over here. And so we come to the cross. I know I haven't said the name of Jesus a whole lot this morning, and that is risky, but my point is not that this isn't about Jesus. My point is that you can't talk about God as deliverer without it sounding like the story of Jesus all the way through. Matter of fact, you can't say anything true about God without talking about Jesus at the same time. And put differently, if you do a decent job talking about God long enough, eventually somebody in the room is going to say, we should probably take communion. And this is why for our entire series, we're switching the order of things a bit, and we're not doing communion up front in the service. We're saving it till now, after the sermon. Because we, what we want is for every message to end by us sharing this meal in which we celebrate salvation by remembering that through this body given and this blood poured out, you and I can be delivered. And I don't mean to overgeneralize, but it's probably true to say that everybody in the room falls into one of two groups. You're either in a good place with God or you're not. You're either experiencing God's deliverance or you're on the outside looking in. And if you're not in a good place with God, maybe because you've never had a real relationship with him, or maybe because you kind of have or do, but you're holding something back, you're pushing him away, I hope you heard from this text the only thing you need to do. It's said multiple times, verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Do you see the point? Cry out to Jesus. Talk to him. Tell him what's up. Invite him in. Let him take over. And if you are following Jesus, if you're all in, if you're trusting him with your life and living on mission with him, then take this chance to once again recommit yourself to standing firm, to staying the course, to finishing the race. You ever been traveling to a place that you've never been before, and along the way somewhere you start to worry that maybe you took a wrong turn? You've experienced this, Yes. You start to panic a little bit, and am I, am I sure this is the way? And your maps app's going a little wonky, so you're not quite sure if you can trust it, so you put it away, and you just keep going. You think to yourself, maybe I should just turn around, and everybody else in the car certainly thinks so. You've gone too far. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. Do you even know where we're going? What are you even doing? Why are you driving? Why are you alive? You know, like, why are you saying these mean things? But you press on as much on principle as anything, you know, and then you come around one more turn up across the final curve and over one last hill, and you are there. Oh, nobody else says anything, but you just sit back and smile with this deep sense of navigational satisfaction, (laughs) and you say to yourself, I guess we were going the right way after all. And if you are following Jesus, if you're walking on the road marked deliverance, keep going. Do not be deterred. Do not waver to the right or to the left. 
Turn off your phone, ignore all the voices, silence your fear, and stay on the path long enough to say, I guess I was going the right way after all. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for being our deliverer. We pray, Lord, that this would be something that we come to know in personal experience over the long course of our lives and the long haul of eternity. So for these next few moments, help us to honestly assess where we are in this psalm and to proceed accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.